This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Holy crow, we are one week away. Let's go! It's almost here. The 2023 NFL Draft, just one week away from today. How giddy are we going to be like a week from today in these chairs? Like doing the little Mr. Miyagi hand rubbing thing. Yeah, like, ooh, let's to, get it you going. You guys have been having meetings about what you're going to do, you know, because you you got to cover this thing, right? Yeah. We got to cover this thing, and I, and I, I don't have anything to do, right? Is that going to change, Brownie? Have you gonna, I, I, I don't know. I don't make those gonna, decisions. Because right as of right now, I'm going to be, you know, about the four cigars and a couple of beers in. Okay. While you're working, you're working hard, much yeah. like I am during the show during the day. <laughs> but <laughs> what do you got under the desk, <laughs> right? That I don't but know about. It, I'm, I'm, I may, for the first time in a while, have a minute to just enjoy it. Yeah, that's cool. Because you and Maddie are going to be, you know, right, breaking doing the live rocks, stream, breaking and, rocks with a hammer, not me. Right. Um, yeah, along with the video and web staff. Yeah. But you and I. We didn't get to this yesterday, and I know we wanted to discuss this. We made a coffee run yesterday morning. Right, as is our usual. We're we're both Tim Hortons guys, so we made a coffee run to Timmy Ho's around the corner. And one of the – and look, we have Tim Hortons coffee here in the building. You know, they're one of our sponsors and all that stuff. Which is part of this conversation. Well, right, because I don't know what it is. But try as we might, we cannot duplicate how it tastes at the store, at the you know at the at the franchise, at the location. That's right. Any location I'm talking. That's about. right. I've now I've been to, I've been to at least what a half, handful in yes, the area, half a dozen different locations of Tim Hortons in this region. All of them, you get the same thing everywhere. All of them taste exactly the same. All and they're great. I get. I go right. back and do it again. But here in this building, or if I have the K cups at home, right? It ain't right. Doesn't taste the same. Like it doesn't taste. It, it's good, but it doesn't taste as good. Oh, yeah, I mean, right? I t- we t- we have it every day. So naturally, so like Steve and I, like the next step is it's to put together same. put together theories as to why this is. Now we thought we had an angle on this. <laughs> Steve had a theory because. Both of us usually get double doubles, double cream, double sugar. Usually get the gargantuan size. I get the extra large because listen, I was a large guy for a long time. Then I saw the person ahead of me in line. <laughs> I, the car ahead of me in the drive-through had I go, I, they they pull out this extra large cup, and I'm like going, what's that? I go, and I pull, I go, I, I I was like, oh, what? I pull up and I go, do you have a size larger than large? And he goes, yeah, we have an extra large. I go. He, I give me one of those. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah. Ever since it's been that or nothing. Right. I can't. I can't get something that big. I'll live in the bathroom. Oh my gosh. So it's awesome. Either way. So we both get the same thing usually. Yeah. Double double. So Steve comes up with the theory that because we're trying to say, all right, well, what's different from the store to what's different when we're making their coffee either here at the office. Or at home with a right. K-cup machine. And even with the, you can buy the beans now. Right. And so Steve's theory was, it's got to be something in the cream and the sugar. Yeah. Like, whatever. That's what I think. Right. 
Yeah. Because you, 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 I've been, you know, you go inside and you can kind of watch them make it. Yes. And they have this thing that you go to and you give it a bump, bump, the pump, the double pump, the poom, poom. Yeah. And you, they <laughs> swirl around. There you go. Presto change. It's got to be that, right? Yeah. You t- can't duplicate the whomp whomp without the whomp whomp machine. Right. Except right? The, and you don't. Except the problem is we today we were relaying this theory to our department head, Jeff Matthews, right. who is a black-only coffee drinker. Right. And he gets it from Tim Hortons, and he says he agrees with us that the coffee is better at the store. And you can't duplicate it anywhere else. And he wouldn't listen. And this he, is just so he kills our argument because he doesn't get cream and sugar. And not only that, <clears throat> I, he's a goner because he's talking to us about how he <laughs> what the, the lengths he has gone he, to he's around to try bed. and duplicate it from roasting his own beans in his oven to, in his oven, and you know, and he's going through the step by step process. I'm like going. Dude. Yeah, I'm looking at Steve. I'm just, I was aware of this commitment. <laughs> I was aware of his commitment to perfect coffee. You were not, mm. and you're, I looked over at you, and your mouth was agape. <laughs> was, so. It's like talking to somebody and realizing it's like, ooh, they. There is an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of yeah. the process there. It's um, like when you're. I, but, the, but here's I, yeah. the thing. I. I can't put my finger on it now. I can't now I, I'm on. lost now, and I don't know why that is. Whatever, it's almost like, it's almost like, what's the secret recipe for Coke? What's right. the 11 special spices in, you know, KFC? Like, well, all that right. stuff. Like, there's something there that's happening. Yep. I would just like to have whatever that is over here in our office. <laughs> We've got, the machines we get our coffee out of are the big. They're industrial. They're, they're, they've got Tim, they're Tim Hortons machines. They are, we, you know. They are the same machine that We're you just see not in a Tim Hortons. But what's coming out of them ain't. Yeah. It is not the same. It doesn't taste, yeah. It's good, but it doesn't. It's always good. It we doesn't don't, taste I mean, quite the same. We don't miss a day. Right. Right? But it's not the same. We got to get to the bottom of that. I, I don't know who we got to talk to to try you to. Tweet out at Twim, Tim Hortons, see what they say. Yeah. I might put you on that. I think the, the uh, revelation was there's got to be some sort of movie analogy because when Jeff our buddy Jeff Ma- our superior Jeff Matthews started talking about how he does his coffee. It's like one of those movie moments when the guy starts talking and all of a sudden you realize it's Satan. <laughs> Come on. Right? It's like one of those things like this guy's not what I thought he was. Oh my gosh. And the look on our fa- the look on my face was like he's talking about yeah. coffee and I was roasting the beans and then that what do they call it when the, the winnow you winnowing, know, w- yeah. winnowing the, the, the shell of the shell. Yeah, the shell he, of the I'm like, bean. I'm like, dude. Yeah, he's a coffee savant. That's, <laughs> right? That's what he is. He does a pour over every morning because it gets closer. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's, there have been a lot of trials and. Oh, he's, I, yeah. I get the feeling when he started talking about it, that was the tip of the iceberg. That's why, you know, my, I'm, it's like yeah. one of those you things. Were, like, you were taken aback. I you yeah. definitely were. It's like a revelation when you we'll start let, talking uh, to somebody. It's like, oh my, oh yeah. my gosh, listen to this guy. We'll let you all know if we <laughs> if we are able to. It's not going to change. Grab Tim, an answer, a definitive it's answer. It's got to be on some that. sort of state and what it is. Too. Tim Hortons knows they that you can't replicate it too. They yeah. probably oh done, they got you. There's something in there that they know they got that you me. can't du- duplicate. They got me because I I, <laughs> I got to go to the store. Uh, and I've been to every location within. It's uniform. Yes. 
They they get it the right. Consistency is so. Having said that, there's got to be something that they do that's that we my can't, point. that we cannot do. Not we, not that we don't know about that we just cannot do. Yeah. Right. Some sort of well, that's rather deflating. You yeah. know, they got they they've got to have something up their sleeve. You know. Okay. That was our conversation. And that, and that's, yesterday. I mean, you know, and if it's a state secret, that's fine. But tell me. I'd love to. I, <laughs> I'd love to know. <laughs> I don't. I don't even. Yeah, I don't even care if you tell me what it is. Just tell me. Yes, is to say we do it's do just, something. It's yeah, frustrating that, that I can't. That just that would relieve me of the effort of trying to do it. Then yeah. I can just say, okay, I can't. It's just do frustrating. It, so I'm not that supposed I can't to be able to do it. Duplicate it. Um, let's uh, check in with the latest draft news, and the NFL pre-draft thirty visits are wrapping up, and NFL Network's Ian Rappaport said one of the top four quarterbacks, Will Levis, out of Kentucky, visited on a last-minute meetup with the New England Patriots, Steve. The New England Patriots. Last-minute meetup. They have the 14th pick in the draft. Now, I would venture to say the general consensus is he's not going to last that far. I think a lot of people had the cutoff at 12 with Houston in the event that Houston elected to go pass rusher at two. They would say if Levis is still on the board at 12, they would take him there. But maybe the Patriots at 14, if that scenario is unfolding, may leapfrog them and go up. Not that Belichick is a proponent of that. He almost never trades up. Right. That's what I was thinking, too. There's always a chance that. New England could go from 14 to like nine for the Bears, or, you know, because the Bears have already traded down once. If they could grab even another rat, an extra draft pick um, from the Patriots to drop down five spots, they, they would do that, you know? Falcons, too. Maybe Philly gets an extra couple of draft picks out of yeah. it. Something, something like that, though. Yeah. You could see New England doing that. But for Will Levis, well, they they took Cole Strange last year. They may do it, you know. Yeah, but the talk now is now there's talk that Will Levis might be the second quarterback off the board. They think Bryce Young is going to be first, and then Will Levis could be second ahead of Stroud. I have a hard time getting to there. I have a hard time getting to that. I mean, I know it's lying season, but. It's, and listen, it's, it's flavor close, of the month. The closer you get to the draft, the bigger the lies get told. Yeah, that's true. And we're only I would tend said, to say that holds up. We're seven seven days away. Yeah, the more information that comes out about what these teams really think, the less you can believe it. That is interesting, though. It Nevertheless, is. that the Patriots are looking there because they're only two years removed from taking Mac Jones 15th overall. They, and they were patient with Mac Jones. Remember, we thought Mac Jones, all these quarterbacks were going yada, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, that Mac Jones is sitting there. And people thought Mac Jones, well, most people thought Mac Jones is, was going to be exactly what he has turned out to be, a, a guy uh, that with some good people around him and the right things that he could, he could do it. Now, they were a playoff team in his first year. Good for them. But last year – with a different coaching staff or a different offensive staff, he struggled, as did the whole offense. Um, he is not a guy that can carry you, but he's certainly smart enough to do what you're asking him to do and maybe even a little more. Mm -hmm. So 
is Will Levis better physically? I got to say probably. He is. He's got a rocket right? arm. Yeah. So I think maybe can run around from the feedback that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge gave Bill Belichick about what they thought about Mac Jones. They said, "Yeah, he's mentally. He's, they prob- I'm just paraphrasing. I think he's probably mentally. They probably think, yeah, he's there. He's he's, but he can't make throws. Yeah, the throws we want him to make. Will Levis can make those throws. Right. More. That's a lot of now. More. More athletic ability physically, right. by far. I think than Mac Jones. I mean, we're sitting here jumping through fiery hoops trying to figure out what New England's going to do, and conjuring up these scenarios when, quite frankly, none of us know. But last minute, 11th hour visit from Will Levis, that kind of speaks to me of smoke. Like, let's just do it to throw people off the scent yeah, of what we really want to do. Right. So they can take Billy Bag of Donuts as a guard. I just don't think he gets to 14 anyway. So your your attempted smoke screen is just that. Or maybe, maybe they want somebody, if Levis still is on the board, to take him. To trade up to get so him get there. get one more guy, up, one more notch higher on their board for their player. Well, if they're going to take a third-round offensive guard like they did have last year, it. have <laughs> at it. I mean, yeah, right? Um, it The quarterback class, what we're talking about today, anyway, we decided that about that would be our topic for today. You've got Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Richardson, Will Levis, and Hendon Hooker. Those are five guys who have a shot at being um, a first-round pick. First pick. And we thought, you know, you think back to the 2018 draft when five quarterbacks were That's taken. That's the last time five went in the first round. It was Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. Lamar was the 32nd pick. Everybody player. else was in the top ten. Right. Everybody else was in the top – no. Was Josh Rosen, Rosen was 10th. Was, was he 10th? 10th okay. to the Cardinals. And Lamar goes – 32nd to Baltimore. Baltimore traded back up into the round to get him. For that fifth-year option, which now they're sitting pretty. So you got – and out of that class, five guys. You got two guys that are MVP candidates. One is a former MVP in Lamar. Josh has been in the conversation for MVP for two straight years. years. Last three years. And then you've got Baker Mayfield, who is a – what looking like now, backup at best. Sam Darnold is huge questions about whether he can even play, and Josh Rosen, who can't play, yeah, but still managed to hang on. Some, yeah, I think he's somewhere. He's, I don't know yeah, where he's he was like a three, right, last year. So you've got like two and a half quarterbacks out of the five, two really really good guys, one just okay guy, and two guys that and are can't struggling, play, can't play. We'll just say they can't play. They they can, but they can't. What's going to happen with this class with C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson? Are they going to be the same as that 2018 class? Can they match it? And that's what we've said forever, and the, the stats are out. It is a coin flip in the first round with quarterbacks. A, a, absolutely a coin flip. You look at those five guys in 2018, half of them, okay. And the other half, no. Yep. So, can this year's quarterback class duplicate what the 2018 quarterback class has done? You can let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Steve, we asked for help on the coffee, and help is on the way. On the line to help us out with uh, the coffee situation is Mark in Kentucky. 
What do you got for us, Mark? Help us out. Hey, hey, okay. Hi, guys. Um, 10 years retired, but 23 years selling coffee makers. And, uh, excuse me, just ran upstairs. Uh, wife and I are Kimmer East class of 67, but, uh, oh, excuse me, I shouldn't run up the stairs. Uh, but uh, the whole thing about, about coffee, coffee, and everyone messed this up. I've gone through this countless times over the years. It's a ratio of coffee to water. And people get their K-cup machines, and they like to set it at 16 and 12 ounces. And a K-cup at most can make, oh, like eight ounces of coffee. Okay. Probably six. If you take your K-cup machine, make six ounces, put another new cup in, make another six, you'll be at Dunkin' Donuts. Okay. And if you have a home machine, then you got to do some cross-multiplying. I'm running up to get my calculator do the math quickly, but I didn't get there. But you want to get the – a Dunkin' Donuts ratio is like two and a half ounces of coffee to 64 ounces of water. So if you're putting 48 ounces in a home machine, then you just do the cross-multiplying, uh, find the value for X, and you're, you're looking – and about an ounce and three quarters. But if you put two ounces of coffee, so if you have a postage scale, and I know everyone says, oh, Mark, I put so much coffee in. And I tell them, no, you got to put twice as much in. It's not going to taste like coffee if you don't put any coffee in. Yeah, It's really that simple. I, All right. All right. Fair Mark, enough. That's, that's awesome. And I guess, Brownie, we asked for it. We do have co- coffee people who are listening to us. And that's Mark, great. Can... I'll take all the help we can get. So, so two just... and a half to one. Is the ratio of coffee to water, according to Mark? So it's got to be at least two to one. Two and a half. Two and a half ounces of coffee what? for two every what? ounce of water. So it's like two and a half to one. Two? No, that's not right. That would be like. He said you have to have like double two. the amount of coffee <laughs> grinds. <laughs> grinds. Right, but you can't have thirty-two <clears throat> ounces of coffee into sixteen ounces of water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're missing it. It's two ounces. Of two and a half ounces of coffee to, what did he, what did he say? Eight ounce, eight ounces of water or something like that. That was double. I don't know, sixteen ounces of water. I don't know. Well, we got no, another guy helping I us out. I gotta go back and listen to the podcast so I can get Mark's Ta- recipe. We got we got other people ready to help us out. Right, we got we Tom go. in North Tonawanda next. What do you got for us, Tom? Uh, I talked to one of the owners of Tim Hortons many years ago, and I heard about that ratio, but I was also told that they high pressure the water steam through the coffee, which makes the taste look different. If you ever watched her coffees uh, uh, on the burners, their coffee is made a lot faster than our 12-cup coffee makers we have at home. So a lot of it has to do with his answer and also with the high pressure, uh, the steam going through the coffee. So they pressurize it through the coffee. Okay. See, that makes me feel better because I can't do that. I got to give Tom credit. He just did a hardcore investigation on his own. He asked them. He asked the people right. at this, like, how do you make? Tom is like investigative reporter here. Yeah, that's good. How do you do it? Pressurize. Says, well, well, they put steam through it. If that's, if that's what's going on, and I get it. If you're popping steam through a pile of grinds, that's going to come out fast. And, but it's pressurized it's water pressurized and it makes water. it taste different. I think it's richer in flavor. And it's got to be the ratio as well. I saw, a th- I did see a thing. I don't know what it was. It was on a documentary. They had these guys, they had like, literally had like nine guys sitting around a table in lab coats with spoons and like cups of coffee in front of them. And they're all like t- smelling it, tasting it, and they're trying to get just the right 
You know what I mean? Balance. So, yeah, and, all, and these guys are all like, like coffee sommeliers, right? <laughs> so they got them, right? You think about it. If you're going to. Yeah, I'm sorry I laugh. It just sounds funny. Right? So, coffee sommeliers. Oh, my God. You know, most of us, except for, you know, for our manager, you know, yeah. Jeff Matthews, most of us, you know, pour a cup of coffee and you drink it. Just and you, give it to me. And you, Yeah. I need just give right. me the jolt. I'm if the taste is great, that's a bonus. I'm an I'm an I'm a lazy American. Yeah. Just, I'm like I don't even want to talk. Just when I do this, give me coffee, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I go out, and my wife doesn't even speak to me until I got coffee in me. I'm like just give me. So that's how much thought I put into it. But you got these guys in lab coats talking about ratios and multiplying the x. Yeah. By. I, mean, I don't have time to pull out my dude, calculator and my slide rule to get the, you right. When you said right. ratio, I'm checked out. <laughs> well, I think Joe and Weedfield has something to add on that. What do you got for us, Joe? Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Yes, I think it's the water that's in every city is different. Oh, it's their filtration system. All right, so you and think- the chemical and the chemicals that they put in, you know. Put in our waters. Yeah, fluoride, other things. Right. I don't know because <clears throat> there's no way that the water I'm getting out of the Tim Hortons over in Blaisdell is the same water I'm getting out of East Aurora. Yeah. So We're I don't know if I buy local that. Local franchises that are all within a 10 mile radius. Yeah. Of one another. So I'm thinking. And I don't it's know. Uniform. If that, I'm sure the water may be different, but I, they got something going on with it. They may filter it at the at the store, but at every store. But I'm. I'll say this that. They all taste the same in every, re- you know, everywhere you go. Even if you get a Tim Hortons in like Pennsylvania, yeah, um, or wherever, it's the same. So they got a location in New York City that I hit up, and yeah. it was the same. Yeah, yeah. So that and I don't that know. If water that's is can- very. Different. And you would think, yeah, right. <laughs> you would think that that would make a big difference, but it doesn't seem to, yeah. to me. Let's uh, see what Bill in Panama has to say. Oh what gosh, you got we us, opened Bill? up a can of worms, didn't we? I think we did. Yeah, hi, it's the uh, hi, it's the uh, it's the light cream. I guarantee it. That's it's they use light cream. See, I I thought that that was our theory too, Bill. But the problem is, one of our coworkers who drinks it only black says it's his opinion that it tastes better at the store too. Yeah, it has nothing which to do takes with his cream. The whole creamer theory out of whack. So that right. that's where we ran into a dead end. Right. Plus if, if we get double double, not everybody does. Somebody people give a single and a, like one cream, no sugar, one sugar, no cream and all the different combinations you can get. They to, to me everybody says no, it t- always tastes better at the place. Yeah, at the store. And and I get it too. A little bit of it is like a placebo. Somebody else makes it and gives it to you and it's the same every time. It's better because whatever. I maybe some of that but not for everybody. No. Right? So uh, I thought it had to do with the cream and sugar, too, and, and the way they did it, and blah, blah, blah. And apparently that's not it. Yeah. It's got to be something else. Well, if we officially get to the bottom of it, we'll, we'll let you know. But the, the steaming of the water through the grinds, I think. That's the leading. That, that's that my was, front runner. That's, yeah. Because that's Tom the only thing that I, I don't expect myself to be able to duplicate, so I don't have to worry about exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, let's go back to the phones, though, and talk a little football here. We go to Mike in Cheektowaga, who will get us off the coffee and back onto football. What do you got, Mike? Hey, boys. Uh, First-time listener, long-time caller. I'm, I'm just wondering how you feel about the Bills. Are they uh, The way the team's constructed right now, do you think it's better than the years, the last two years? I'll hang up and listen. I okay. do. 
Thanks, Mike. I, I think they got a chance to be – they're going to be – they have absolutely every reason I do. I believe they're going to be at least the team they were a year ago, maybe better coming up. Um, I, I do, because I think there's a couple of things going that's going to be different. I think there's a couple of guys you can point to that will play better because we've seen them play better. Uh, Gabe Davis had a, a big, an enlarged role last year that I think maybe caught him a little bit off guard. Plus, he was dragging around injuries all year. If he stays healthy, he'll play better. Spencer Brown, same thing. He was dragging around a high ankle sprain. And he came off a of back surgery. At the and he had back year. surgery that he didn't even take part in the offseason conditioning and all that stuff and last year. And he had a training camp. So he was done. So he had a slow start and then got injured, and then it was worse for him the rest of the season. Uh, you've got um, Greg Rousseau got hurt. Greg Rousseau was hurt. Sprain. You got had a knee injury. You had Micah Hyde in week two go down. Jordan, Jordan Poyer was, was dragging around stuff. Um, Tredavious White Tra- didn't play till Thanksgiving. Micah Hyde, uh, Naheem Hines is here now and will play a better and more and a more significant role or has a chance to than Zach Moss was going to play last year at this time. James Cook has been around for a year and has proven what he can do and will probably expand his role. You've got a younger version of Cole Beasley. And John Brown on the roster now in uh, Sherford, Sherfield, and Khalil Shakir and uh, Hardy from New Orleans. Um, Kair Elam started to spread his wings at the end of last year and was the guy at corner. And I, I think uh, Christian Benford was going to have a hard time getting him off the field after starting the season like he did and then getting the injury in the hand injury. I think he lost ground to. Kair. Uh, all of those reasons, I think, are plenty to give you an idea that the Bills are going to come back and they're going to roll. If they stay healthy as they did two years ago, this is a team that they could forget this draft. They could go with the guys they've got right now with it, with Connor McGovern in the fold, uh, Bates, uh, Kessenberry is a swing tackle. David Edwards. David, they could go right now and play better up front and all over the field on both sides of the ball than they did a year ago if they stayed healthy. I think they're that good. They're going to be a wrecking crew again this year. Yeah, That's and my I, opinion. And I would also argue that they've upgraded running back with Damian Harris. I think yeah, he's a better a all-around point. player than Devin Singletary. So now him and Cook, as your top two backs, you're better than you were last year. And what was everybody asking for last year to help this offense? A More better back, yeah. and not only your backs going to be your backs are going to be better. So is your I think your O line will be better. Cook's going to be better in year two. Connor Damian McGovern's going to be better. better than Roger Saffold was able to be in year thirteen of his career. Um, I, I just yeah, I just think you're going to be. The better only question all the way you got to fill, and it could be somebody on the roster. It could be somebody they still add in the draft. Middle linebacker. That's that's really the only yeah. position where you don't have a definitive answer right now. But between now and the end of training camp, you may have an answer that's. Maybe not as freakishly athletic as Tremaine, but maybe as good an answer in terms of produ- productivity. Even but even the backup safety spot um, with Rap coming in I, from the Rams, they're just better. Um, there's a lot of – and I get it. The recency bias is the Bills laid an egg and they stunk at the end of the year because of what happened. Don't I'm, – I'm not there. Brownie and I have talked at length about why we thought that season went south last year and it started with the Monday night game in Cincinnati and they never recovered from it. Despite the fact that they won two games it, where they were mentally a shell. Uh, they beat the Patriots and the Dolphins 
at the end of the season, barely, albeit, with two. That's how bad they were. That's how mentally shot they were at the end of the yeah. season because of what happened. That they it took two kickoff returns for touchdowns to beat the Patriots at the end of the season, week seven, 18. The worst team in the division. The worst team in the division. And then they barely got by Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins in the playoffs. You know, just they were they were a wreck. The team was a wreck mentally at the end of the season. And then of yeah. course they met a finally met a good team in Cincinnati and they just Well, the same team that the done. incident happened against three weeks later. Right. They had no shot. Can't wrap your head around that, man. They had no shot. And and so I think they're going to be in a much better and much different place than they were a year ago. Uh, Tredavious White's going to come back with a vengeance week one this year, not week 14 or 12, whatever it was. He's going to come back and play well. Kyrie Edom's going to play much better than he did in the, to begin the year. He's going to be a different kind of I – I think he's going to be a completely different player. Mm-hmm. Hyde and Poyer will be there. Uh, I, you know, all the defensive tackles they brought back, they're all good. Now, they're all in short-term deals. They're all going to be done after this year. But, man, oh, man, they're going to come back and they're all going to be highly motivated. Von Miller's going to come back and be ready. I, You know, I just think there's a lot of things on this roster that people just kind of think they kind of gloss over like it doesn't mean it means a lot. This team's, this team's got some guys. Yeah. So I, I think they are going to be good. All right, we got to take a break, but we are asking, can this quarterback class this year duplicate what the 2018 quarterback class did? That's the Josh Allen quarterback group. You let us know at 803-0550. Break time back in a second here on One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker here on a Thursday. Talking about the quarterback class this year and how you think it might compare to the 2018 class, which included Josh Allen, and if you think they can duplicate what that class has done, which isn't exactly overwhelming, as Steve outlined in the first segment. You really only have Josh and Lamar and the other guys. Right. A couple of them are hanging and on. and We've said that the studies over the past you know couple of decades will say it's a, with the quarterback position, it's kind of a coin flip you got a good chance the guy will be a superstar or he'll be a flop. And this class, this 2018 class with Josh Lamar, and then maybe if you count Baker Mayfield as a backup, it's a coin flip. Half the the class was good, two and a half guys, right? It's Josh Lamar and then Baker, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold. Eh, we'll see. Now this class has got five guys. Now the challenge is to pick the two winners. Well, the two and a half right. winners, right? Mayfield will have a chance to compete for a starting job in Tampa. That's where he landed in free agency. Even so. But they could very well draft one of these five guys. Well, yeah. Because they pick 19th. If, if Hooker's on the board and they like him enough, it just, he could be the fifth it guy. It always seems so unbelievably easy when you look backwards. Of course, Josh is going to be six. You know, he's as tall as a tree. He's got an enormous arm. Smart. Athlete. And Lamar Jackson is a quarterback like nobody's ever seen before. Runs a 4-3, he's big, yeah. got an arm. And Lamar's been an MVP. So, and Josh has been in the conversation for three years. Those two guys, it's, you look back and you think, well, how? Of course, there was never a question. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody knew. So how do you look at this class and look any different? Anthony Richardson, if you're going to compare, is the Josh Allen of the class. Yeah. Right? Doesn't actually have a huge body of work, but has all the elite athletic traits you could ask for and more. Um, and if you believe that he has the want to and the desire to be great at football, and football is number one, 
well, then you can project that ceiling maybe a little bit more confidently, which is what you heard from Brandon Bean and all the guys that drafted Josh. Once they flew out to Laramie and met with him for two days, they were sold. Right. This kid wants to be great at football, even if he hasn't put it all together yet as a yeah. two-year starter at Wyoming. And, and, and we you see can the go results. Back, you can, you know, do the alternate history if you want. You say, well, you could tell by looking at the film. They were asking him to do some things that were really impossible. You'd never ask a pro quarterback or, you know, you wouldn't ask Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers to work that kind of offense, you know, but he was working in my, in Wyoming and expect to be successful or at least expect to complete 60% of your passes. And, you know, coming out, he was a 52% completion percentage guy. And everybody said, well, you're never going to see a guy go above 60 after being that in college. Well, we did. Yeah. Uh, all of that. So it's interesting. And I, we want to ask you guys out there, our listeners, which two of these guys are going to be MVP candidates? Seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're looking at of this 2018 class. Yeah, they can't go over. <laughs> can't, can't Three happen. of them? Can't. I hope they're in the NFC if they do. Well, yeah, the good ones. You yeah, hope the, the good, good ones, ones are yeah, in the, the NFC. Ones. That's right. right. We got to step aside here because when we come back, we're going to be telling you about a great new partnership between the Buffalo Bills and the American Heart Association. We'll be sure to tell you more when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and joined right now by COO of the Buffalo Bills, Ron Rakuia, and also Jason Stolp, American Heart Association uh, local president or what? Executive director. Executive director. That's about the same. Thing. Perfect. So we're, we're good. Um, I guess the first thing here, because it was announced on buffalobills.com already, but a, a great commitment by the Bills to kind of partner here with the American Heart Association, Ron. Yeah, Chris, we're really excited about it. Um, obviously, everything that the American Heart Association stands for, CPR training, AED access, hands-on CPR, you know, specifically, um, this has touched the organization, you know, deeply in the last 12 months. Right. And, you know, for the Pagulas and, and everybody in the organization to make this commitment is really outstanding, and it will provide great benefit to the community in the long run. And how fitting has it been, you know, given what happened to DeMar and, and what we've the revelations about Kim, um, all the things in our in our in our uh, in our organization that we've had to deal with, and now it, how it spilled over into the greater community, and the uh, um, the AHA is part of that, right, Jason? Absolutely, yeah. You know, it is it is the silver lining of you know both of those stories. You know, the story with Demar and the the news about Kim. Uh, the silver lining is that we've had such an outpouring of interest to learn CPR. You know, both hands only and and certifications and everything. So you know, if we can walk away from both of those incidences where you know thousands and thousands more uh, Western New York residents know CPR, that's great. So give us an idea. You've got a couple yeah. of events now, and mm -hmm. it really is mushroom because there's been so much awareness about. Listen, I. How tough can it be to get certified as a CPR guy? Because we saw it, <coughs> it works, yeah. right? So yeah. give us an idea of some of the events that you've got coming up this summer and the Bills are being a part of it, all of that. Yep, definitely. So, yeah, in collaboration with the Buffalo Bills, we have some events coming up. On the first one on June 3rd um, here at Highmark, uh, we'll be training thousands of, uh, you know, Buffalo residents in uh, hands-only CPR. And then we have the second one coming up on uh, on June 10th as well. And that one's at Johnny B. Wiley Athletic Pavilion uh, downtown. So we'll be you know, focused on, you know, uh, lots of different groups from across the region coming and, you know, learning hands-only CPR. 
We'll have other, you know, vendors there, you know, health-related event as well, a uh, true event for the community. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, a lot of people will walk away being more prepared in case of a cardiac arrest or an emergency. And, and this was a measure, Ron, that the Bills organization kind of tackled internally with their own right. internal mm -hmm. training before partnering up for making this available to the public on a wide scale, right? Yeah, Chris, you're absolutely right. We, we have, um, and we did. And then to partner with the American Heart Association allows us to expand it. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, um, it has been said, it, it's, it's for the community as a whole, but it's also really going to focus on, you know, communities that aren't served as well, you know, with this access and this training. And that's a commitment, you know, that we have from an organizational standpoint. Yeah, the cool thing that I saw, Jason, you know, amongst some of these talking points that you guys have laid out in terms of the initiative is getting these kits in the hands of youth sports organizations because this this stat stunned me like just it's more popular with with respect to young athletes cardiac arrest leading leading cause of death in young athletes 75% of all fatalities that occur during sports are cardiovascular related so maybe just it's kind of a no-brainer. Get yeah. these things in the hands of youth coaches and, and leagues, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. We know when you say those stats, you realize how important it is that everybody related to youth sports is prepared in case of a cardiac emergency, right? So you're not just talking about, you know, maybe one or two people from the organization being CPR certified. But you're talking about these CPR and youth sports kits. That organization is able to train hundreds of people throughout the year. So you can then take that and teach the parents on the team. You can take that and teach other coaches so that you have a whole network within that organization. You're talking about youth sports, you know, teams. You're talking about uh, whole organizations. You're talking about other youth-related, you know, maybe like after-school programs, et cetera. But, you know, everybody being able to jump into action in case of an emergency, that's what those kits are going to do. You know, it's been interesting, too. And you might imagine that since, you know, January 2nd, that Monday night game in Cincinnati, uh, you've had like a 600% increase in people saying, you know, how tough can it be? And, and really, it has transformed hands-only CPR into what you hoped it would be, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, an outpouring of, of interest in it, you know, we talked locally, again, across the entire country, you know, uh, you know page visits to our resources, you know, people uh, seeking out education, people wanting to be prepared. What you saw with DeMar was, you know, the best possible outcome from a chain of survival where CPR was administered, AED. I think people realizing that they, they need to know that themselves, so... Yeah. And, and Ron, like just the importance of getting this out in the public, because I think people say, well, you know, if, if somebody in my family or a friend or a neighbor has a cardiac event, we'll just get them to the hospital. But then there's the stat, 70% of cardiac arrests that do not happen in the hospital occur in homes and private residences. You've got to be on the spot ready to take care of that before an ambulance or a 911 call can even be made. You know, what we've really learned is time is so critical to this. And, you know, having this training and having the knowledge of CPR, hands-on CPR, um, you know, saves, t saves minutes, mm -hmm. and minutes saves lives. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's really important, you know, that everybody in, knows how to do this. Yeah. You never know when you're going to be in this position. Um, you know, as, as Jason said, DeMar's situation ended up the best it possibly can, and he talks about a higher purpose. And seeing how many people have resonated to this, how many people have gone to learn, how many people will learn from this. It's a testament to, you know, what our staff did on the field that day, um, the blessing of DeMar coming back, and what we can give to the community because of that. And also, it seems fitting, and I hadn't thought about it, but coming up, training, of, training camp uh, over at St. John Fisher, 
they're, they're going to have a presence there, a tent where people can go and learn more about it, get trained. Uh, local groups will be able to go in and, and see how that goes. Uh, it's It really is going to be a partnership where it's going to be the AHA, the American Heart Association, is going to be have a presence wherever the bills are this year. Correct. Yeah. You know, we talk about these events coming up. Those are just the first few things uh, in this collaboration. Uh, it's, a, it's a year-long, you know, collaboration between right. our two organizations where we'll be bringing CPR education to the forefront of the community wherever the Buffalo Bills are. So whether you're talking about training camp, you're talking about games, you're talking about all those pieces uh, of the community that the Buffalo Bills touch, you know, we'll be there talking about CPR education. You know, the Bills are definitely, you know, leading the way, uh, you know, in this, in, not only in this community, but, you know, across the country when it comes to you know, an NFL team uh, working with their community in order to, uh, to teach CPR. You know, Steve, sorry, Chris, okay. going back to what, what you had asked earlier about the commitment, you know, you're seeing what the next 12 months may look like, but this is at minimum a five-year commitment by the okay. organization, and we tend to build on this year to year, and hopefully, you know, for a decade or more um, going forward. This is a really critically important thing to us I, as an organization. I just wanted to get give Jason the opportunity because we know that you have the event coming up on June 3rd then there's another one on June 10th I wanted to emphasize the fact that the events are free to the public but you have to have a ticket because they can only accommodate so many people for training I would assume so how do they get their hands on tickets yeah so absolutely yep there's a there's a great resource page uh linked on the Buffalo Bills website um that you can go to and you have to go on and just like you would buy yep um, you go to buffalobills.com slash heart uh, for that. And uh, just like you would buy a ticket to a game via Ticketmaster, you'll go on there and get a free ticket to attend this. You're signing up for a time to come and learn the hands-only CPR, and then you have the rest of the event to experience as well. Yeah. One of the things about this, and you saw you know, the whole entire country saw what happened to DeMar, but um, the statistics are unbelievable. When you start reading about how this, how prevalent it is, there are 350,000 people who go of, who go down with cardiac arrest every year in our country that are not in the hospital when it happens. Yeah. 90% of them pass. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, they die. Yeah. Uh, CPR, only less than half of them get even a chance to have somebody around do the CPR. Um, but that gives them like up to a three times better chance of making it through it. So the people who make it through the, of the 10%, most of them get CPR. So if, if, you know, of the hundreds of thousands of people who go down with this, the only chance they've got is if someone, and usually somebody they know is a family member or friend who they're right there, yeah. uh, can give them CPR. And something, uh, particularly a person like me, I've got, my parents are still alive, they're 92, oh. you know, that kind of thing. You could, you, you could be the thing that keeps them around. You could be. You know, it's, it's most likely going to be a loved one that you're performing CPR right. on. You exactly. mentioned, you know, 40% of the public is apt to perform, you know, CPR on an individual. And that's where hands-only comes into play. So we're talking really a lot here about hands-only CPR, which breaks down those barriers as to why someone wouldn't do CPR, right? It makes it easy. It's pushing hard and fast to the center of the chest, call, calling 911, and pushing hard and fast to the center of the chest, right? It's very simple. It's a lot easier so that hopefully when, you know, something does happen, people are more comfortable you know, administering that in its nature and then increasing their chances of survival. Right? And I would imagine, Ron, that you mentioned it's a five-year commitment, even though year one is what everything has been laid out mm-hmm. here. So I would imagine you guys are going to collaborate further after year one and say, what can we do to enhance the program for year two, three, four, five? 
That's exactly right. And, you know, be remiss to say we're also doing this with some great community partners as well. It's not just the Bills and the American Heart Association. Highmark has already been involved. Lolly Insurance has been involved. Um, the county executive with the Erie County Public Library System. And more and more of our partners are asking how they can support us. So, yeah, Chris, it's going to be a great community effort for a number of years to come. I'll right. say this, too. What better organization than the one that was highlighted throughout the country for what happened on Monday Night Football and to be a part of it? I, I applaud us for – applaud you for <laughs> this partner. It's sure. makes a, it makes so much sense. It makes too, for, much, sense. It makes too yeah. much sense for it not to happen. So congratulations to both of you. Yeah. Ron, uh, Jason, thanks very much for kind of shedding some light on this initiative going forward. A reminder, June 3rd is the first event coming up. To learn hands-on CPR, it will be taking place right here at Highmark Stadium, June 10th at the Johnny B. Wiley Pavilion. And if you want more information, you go to buffalobills.com slash heart to find out how you can get a free ticket to register for the event. We will take a break. Be back with more of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Thanks, guys. That was perfect. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, talking about this year's quarterback class and whether it can duplicate or measure up to the 2018 quarterback class, which, granted, is at about a 40% hit rate <laughs> at this point in time. Yeah. And fortunately, the Bills are one of those teams that hit uh, with Josh Allen, obviously. But which and, and it comes down to the question of which of these five guys of this 2023 class coincides with Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and which quarterbacks coincide with Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold. And then if you put Baker Mayfield at the three spot of being, you know, he's competing for a starting job this year, but I don't know who he's competing with. He's a backup right at this point of his career. He's been tossed around now on his fourth team, correct? Um so, and and Sam Darnold as well. I mean, he's he's in the mix, but he's just barely hanging on. Josh Rosen is a number three last year. So those, you know, who co which of these five quarterbacks coincide with it? Uh, certainly, Bryce Young has been noted as being the top guy so far. Mm -hmm. There was a little more question about that, and maybe we'll get <clears throat> some somebody or some information as we always do before draft right at the 11th hour of the draft they're gonna say well i don't know if bryce young is actually the guy kind of information i doubt that well let's not forget the 2018 draft the browns had the top pick the jets picked third and leading up to the draft the whole way darnold's the number one guy right darnold's the number one guy and then out of nowhere two or three days before the like a day before night one we're hearing that Mayfield has moved to the top of the Browns. But he didn't move to the top of the board. Right. They had him there probably for a month. Just nobody was wise to it yet. And right. then all of a sudden, 
it's remember how surprised we were? Holy crap! It's Mayfield that's going right. to go first. Like we and were then, all stunned. And even then, the Bills were like going, "Hey, we got a shot at Sam, right?" Well, you think yes that. and no. <clears throat> but then after the fact, the Bills said, "No, nah, we liked our guy," so they had it pegged. Um, well, let's not forget they weren't at seven at the jump; they were at twelve. That's right. They had to make a move on draft day. So. They had gone up from 22 to 12 after the trade of Cordy Glenn to the Cincinnati Bengals, move up 10 spots, and then sitting there at 12, after seeing Mayfield go first, Bean was on the phone, and he was trying to get up there fast um, because he knew the Jets picked third. And, you know, behind them, he was trying to do a deal with just about everybody. He got there fast. Got on the phone with Denver at five. That's the thing. And Denver, Denver said, said yes. if, Denver said, we'll do the deal if our guy isn't there. Right. But if he's there, we're not doing and it. And their guy was Chubb. Their guy was Bradley Chubb. And he was there, so no dice there. So then Denver they, looks like they a called dope. Indy at six. They weren't moving because they were committed to Quentin Nelson. So then it's Tampa at seven, and they finally got the deal done. And fortunately, you know, Josh was still on the board. Uh, I expect to be I expect there to be similar type movements, Steve. From yeah. th- in this top 10, because it's not just Houston and it's not just Carolina and it's not just Indy that needs a quarterback. I mean, you could make an argument for a team like Seattle, although I don't think they'll do it. But Seattle, they have a stopgap guy in Geno Smith for the next two years. But they, you could justify them putting somebody in the pipeline. Same thing with the Raiders at seven. I mean, yeah, but they also, signed Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's essentially a one-year deal. But think about this, too. Seattle is the target for somebody moving into the top five. Well, that, too. That's a place where hey, you've got Does Gino. Atlanta want to slide up from eight? Exactly. Atlanta want to slide up from eight. Uh, does Tennessee want to get in there at 11? They, do they want to jump up and get a guy in the pipeline behind Ryan Tannehill for one year, all uh, Alex Smith and Pat Mahomes with the Chiefs five years ago, six years ago? You know, all that's possible. I think Seattle is an absolutely prime candidate because the Panthers need a quarterback. Houston needs a quarterback. Seattle need, does not. Indianapolis does. So three of, the, three of the top four need a quarterback. One, two, and four need a quarterback. Now, Arizona is also ripe to trade out of that spot. Yeah. So Because they're rebuilding around Kyler Murray. Pick three could be a pivot point. In round one for it's the quarterbacks. Pick three and pick five. And Indianapolis pick five. could even say, hey, listen, will you flip-flop with us? Yeah, just so they don't get a leapfrog. Right. Just so they get one of the top three guys. If they get the fourth guy, they're looking at Will Levis. To me, they're looking at Will Levis or Hendon Hooker. And Hendon Hooker ain't going to be ready till November. Unless they got some yeah. dark horse. Although there that, is new word now that Hendon Hooker is ahead of schedule. Whatever that means. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> so am I. So I think... Round one has every chance of being just as exciting as the 2018 draft was in terms of people maneuvering and jockeying for a quarterback in the top 10. Will the quarterbacks be able to duplicate what the 2018 quarterback class has done thus some of far? It, some of it is going to have to do with where they get picked. You may have a guy like, like the Carolina Panthers picking number one overall. Say they pick Bryce Young. Bryce Young goes there and is just okay for whatever because of it's the Carolina Panthers. But a guy like C.J. Stroud goes to the Panthers, same pick, same draft. They just 
one guy gets taken, the other guy doesn't. But the one guy they take in, in a C.J. Stroud all of a sudden explodes down there. He's off the charts. He's, he's Josh Allen and Cam Newton all rolled into one for Carolina. Uh, he, he does well. You can get that kind of thing. If, if Carolina picks the, wrong, the right guy, it doesn't matter which one of the five it is. It could be the right guy in Carolina. But that same guy, if you mix those same five guys up, say, for instance, if Josh Allen would have picked first overall to Cleveland, is he the same Josh Allen? Well, maybe. Or maybe the team around him and the head coach and the general manager around him don't know how to do it the way Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean did, and he struggles because he's got nobody around him or the organization crumbles around him. Yeah, but look at Carolina and the infrastructure they've put in place already. You not only have Frank Reich, Mm who is a proven developer of quarterback talent, and the miracle, miracles he worked with Carson Wentz uh, right. in Philadelphia to what he did with Nick Foles on a playoff run to the Super Bowl. You have that. Then the, the, the offensive coordinator or the quarterback's coach is Josh McCown, who played in the league for 14 years as a quarterback. He's your quarterback's coach. And then you, you look at who the veteran quarterback is on the roster. It's Andy Dalton. Right. So it's a it's that's a, a heck of an environment to walk into. That's a great yes, support system. It is. It is an absolute incubator for a young quarterback. I don't if you can't make I'll just say this. If you can't make it as a quarterback in that environment, you can't make it. You can't. Those three guys alone, the head coach, well, the quarterback's it, coach, and your backup quarterback are all three mentor type individuals. And I remember talking to Frank when we had him on the show at the Combine, and he was raving about Thomas Brown, the offensive coordinator, who he had not worked with before previously, but he comes from the Rams staff. Right. And he was raving about him, uh, who's, you know, done a lot of good things with Stafford and Goff, obviously. So, man alive, you want to talk about a good situation, you're if hoping I'm, you go number uh, one. If I'm, if I'm an agent for one of these five guys, I am – absolutely wearing Frank Reich out with phone calls. My guy is your guy. My guy is your guy. You can't, you can't, those other guys can't hold a candle to my guy. All of that. Um, You've got to also look at the quarterbacks as individuals. Forget about the incubators that we're talking about and where they're at. Houston Texans, Houston has been a dumpster fire of a franchise for about five years. Is that where you want your guy to go? Does any does any player coming out do, if they go to Houston? Can they be successful? Right. Those two, what you just outlined with the Carolina Panthers for the experience and the hires that they have made looks ready made to sprout wings and take off. Yeah, that is a franchise that you got to buy now because Maybe, it's gonna it's gonna skyrocket. In my opinion, the Texans staff. You got D'Amico Ryan's defensive-minded head coach, so the OC becomes eminently important. It's Bobby Slowick, who's a veteran coach, and he has proclaimed that the Texans' offense is going to be aggressive, fast, and decisive. Okay, that's great. The quarterback's coach is Gerard Johnson, who has never been a quarterback's coach in the league before. He's been an assistant. He was in Minnesota last year, and he's worked his way up through the ranks. He's considered a fast-rising coach. Which is a good And sometimes those guys – really hit critical mass when they're put in a position like that. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, but I don't know that it that the Houston the staff the has the chops yeah. that the Carolina staff has. Um, and you can say that, too, because Josh McCown hasn't been a quarterback's coach either. Right? So that's 
in fact, he's been a, hasn't been a coach at the pro level at any, of any kind. At least the guy in Houston has been in the system, in the league, and knows how it is to be in an NFL environment as a coach. Josh McCown has none of that. That's one thing that you can hold the Texans above Carolina in, although, you know, the experience of being a player and having a bunch of quarterback coaches during your career really gives you an idea of what the insight is to how to do that job, right? So it's not like Josh McCown hasn't seen that job done and done well. The entire organization in Houston has to be suspect at this point for the way they have handled the transition from Bob McNair to his son uh, taking over the team. It's There's a big change there, and I think, that, I think they're still having growing pains. Yeah, I yes, I could see an argument for that quite easily. Um, I think the general consensus with this class, Steve, is that Anthony Richardson probably has the highest ceiling. He's the Josh Allen of this class. He has the highest ceiling. Biggest questions. The, highest, biggest questions. the highest floor, would you say that's Bryce Young? Probably Bryce Young <clears throat> is the highest floor prospect, right? Not and that's not to indicate he doesn't have a higher ceiling. He does have a high ceiling, I think. But uh, I think in terms of NFL readiness, yeah, I would say it's that. probably Bryce Young. I, I, right you could now, make, you could make the case for Stroud in that case, but I don't think the floor for Stroud is much lower than Bryce Young's floor. Yeah. Although Bryce, now I would say Bryce. <laughs> I'll just put it this way: their floor is the same, but Bryce Young's got a, be, a stronger foundation. You know what I mean? Uh, Stroud, I think some of the other things that make Stroud more enticing is the fact that the guy's built like an NFL quarterback, and if you, it's going to be harder for a guy to bend him in half and take him out of the game and then go have a beer, right? Um, Bryce Young, you get the feeling if, if he gets caught, you know, I mean, he could get bumped into from behind and be out for two weeks. Um C.J. Stroud looks like he could take a shot from a defensive tackle and get up and call the next play. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of the floor scenario. But Bryce Young, I think he is the pro-ready guy. He's the guy that you would expect when he's drafted number one overall. He would have the chops to go in and say, All right, this is my team, here we go, here's the first play, let's go. That kind of presence, he would have that kind of confidence. All the other guys maybe have some questions of whether they can pull that off. Yeah. I think Young's football IQ is just yes. a little bit better than everybody else's. Not to say that it's not good with the other guys. Stroud has a good football IQ. I think Richardson is still putting it all together. And then Levis, pretty good football IQ. Same thing with Hooker. Um, Hooker's injury hurts him. I think Levis being unable to raise the level of the Kentucky program with his abilities, although that's a uphill climb in the SEC. It's a heavy lift. Um you don't want to ding him too much for that. Um, yeah, so but Hooker did it in Tennessee. Granted, he had more talent around him. So much of that has to do with that evaluation I'm talking about, not the player of, and their ability to do it, but so much of knowing whether they're that guy that can do that is sitting down and looking him in the eye and saying, okay, what happens if this happens on your team? What happened here? And having the guy explain why this happened and this happened. You know, when you sit down and talk to these guys and find out the kind of person they are, and you you alluded to it uh, for the 2018 class when Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, they all went out to Laramie and spent two days with Josh Allen, that was it. They knew. They knew. 
is there a team on this list from one through five or seven, whoever it is, all those, you know, Carolina, Houston, Indianapolis, is there one of those three teams who have talked to these four guys? Oh, they definitely and they're have. Look, they have, and they look at him in the eye and say, that's our guy. That's our guy right there. It's, forget the other guys. Is there – who's that? That's what I want to know. And maybe, they, maybe it is Stroud for all of them. Maybe Houston knows they got no shot at getting up to the number one spot. And they're just going to say, well, what can we do with CJ or whoever the other guy is, yeah. right? Indianapolis is saying that. That's, it means so much getting to know who these guys are, what makes them tick, how they think, where they're from, what's important to them. How they lead. Exactly. It's a, lead, it's a natural leadership position. You, yes. You can't not be a natural leader and reach the pinnacle of quarterback efficiency – can't raise the level of your team the same way if you can't lead right. at that spot. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. The, the most important way is this, and Josh is notorious for this, and so are the other guys are, you know, that I've been around, Jim, Kelly, and other great – Frank Reich was – you know, they, the, the key thing to leadership, particularly in football, is first of all, you've got to be you. And you've got to be you in such a way that other guys want to play with you. That's what it is. They'll, if you're playing hard and you work hard and you're a genuine guy, they'll rally. They'll be themselves and they'll, they'll rally to you. Mm-hmm. And it's, so when they say leadership, it comes down to who the guy is. And you, <clears throat> we've talked about it before. Look at the kind of guy that Kyler Murray is. Ain't nobody lining up to play with that guy. Right. And – you know, that was that was what happened with Geno Smith in New York, remember? He had guys breaking taking punches at him. Yep. You know, he couldn't do it. Now he's ten years later, he's kinda come full circle, or at least done a one eighty. Now he's got guys playing hard for him, but it yep. took him a while to get there, right? He had some things to learn. Nobody's got the patience to wait ten years on a first pick of the draft. Right? You're gonna be someplace else. So what kind of guy are they? They they sit down and talk with these guys. They and listen, they get experts. It's not just Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. They'll get a, a psychological person in there and say, what do you think about this? Well, he's got this and he's got this going on. They will also, I don't know if the Bills do this, but I know a lot of teams film the interviews that they conduct. And then they have somebody like that, a body language expert. Yep. Is this guy telling the truth? How does he genuinely feel about that answer based on how he's behaving there? <laughs> That's like, exactly is he shifting right. in his seat? Did he, did he purse his lips? All of those things. They do that, too. Because yeah, any absolutely. ounce of information they can – because the position's too important. And the draft yes. pick you're using is too important. I've said this, too. And they still miss. I, yeah. Because <laughs> I'll say – because they don't heed whatever information's out there or they, or they choose to believe the wrong information, whatever. I had the, uh, the occasion to talk to people who were in drafts like this. And I go – you know, they go through all of these – machinations that we're talking about you know the interviews and the the analysis and the film study and the you talk to who they know and they talk to their family and their coaches and their whole past you got you do all that stuff to find out you know is he the right guy or not and 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 that's all great he's the right guy he's not he's not the right guy you don't want to give it to him the problem is this you gotta pick somebody you gotta pick somebody right 
It comes down to it. You've got to make a pick. Does that tell us something about the New England Patriots and how often they trade out or down in the first round? Maybe. Uh, yes, there's a lot in that. You got to pick. I don't somebody. want to pick anybody. Let's get right. out of here. None of these guys. These guys all stink. I don't like them. That this guy's got this issue. You can, and there's some issues. Coaching staffs will take on a lot of challenges, but there's some things they're like, "Well, I can't fix. Yeah, I, I can't fix stupid. You know, I can't fix. Yep. I can't fix angry. You know, I can't fix. You know, busted. So." They can make guys better football players, but when they get a guy who's not a good human being or has some issues that he can't overcome, you can't waste your football team's time trying to fix a guy off the field so that he can play on the field. Right. And that's a huge part of these interviews. All right, so let me ask you this. Of these five quarterbacks that could all go in round one this year, who are your two that mimic Josh and Lamar's success from this class. Let's assume this this quarterback class bats the same average as the 2018 class. They match what the 2018 class has done here in five years. Who are your two players from this class that are essentially Lamar and Josh? Well, it's and they don't have to have the same skill set. Right. I'm just saying in terms of successful franchise quarterback. I've got th- three that I think Anthony Richardson is the guy that's gifted. If he's got a good head on his shoulders, if he's smart, and if he can learn, and if he picks stuff up, if he's, if he's got, and he's got commitment, that's the guy because he outthrows and outruns everybody. He's a huge, he's a, he's a huge athlete. Now, if he's that guy, the guy's like, man, I want to play with him. Like, like Baltimore is with Lamar. Those guys rally around that dude. They love that guy, right? If he's that kind of guy, see, it's, it's CJ or Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud is a guy like that. He's got some skills. He's got a big arm, and he's a big athlete, and he's made some throws at Ohio State. You and I were watching it. I love the guy. I think he's great. And the dark horse for me is Hendon Hooker. Yeah. I've always liked him. And his situation with his injury, he's got an ACL, and he won't be ready to play until halfway through the season. To me, that is, in this case – that is a huge benefit for him. I don't want him to be ahead of schedule. I want him to be off the books mm. for as long as he can be so he can get ready. So when he hits the field, if he goes to a team, I don't know, like Washington Commanders or someplace like that where he can sit for a couple of months, learn the system, get acclimated, learn his day-to-day routine, get acclimate, get up and get how to, how to assimilate, a, assimilate a game plan, a pro game plan, the – the nooks and crannies of an NFL offense, the relationships you have to foster with your your teammates, both as skilled players and the guys up front. When he can get two months of watching that live, up close, in the room, in the building, training, getting ready, and then can just whet his appetite at the end of the season, I think that sets him up for a really much better start to his career when he does get on the field on a regular basis than these other guys. The like Holmes plan. Yeah. Now, certainly we've talked about Carolina Panthers, but – you know, they're a work in progress around him. You know, no matter who he's got, you know, Frank and, you know, Josh, Josh and these guys coaching him and Andy Dalton in the room, they can do a lot, but they can't play left tackle, you know. So, to me, Hendon Hooker out of these five is an intriguing project because it, he may have the longest runway to get good. 
I think the best way to get good, though, is playing. Uh, but I'm kind of in the same boat. I think the two that will pan out here are Stroud and Richardson. Stroud won me over in the Peach Bowl, the college football semifinal against Georgia. Yes, you've got two offensive tackles who are going to be first-round draft. Well, one will be a first-round draft pick. The other will probably be a second-round draft pick. But you had good pass protection against the best defense in college football the last two years running, and you went toe-to-toe with that group and scored 41 points. On Georgia. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And took off and showed he's got the feet to make plays, you know, after – the original play is broken down, which we hadn't really seen a whole lot of because more often than not, they, the other receivers for Ohio that. State were open right. and he had people to throw to. Against Georgia, they did not. And he made plays with his legs, which we had not really seen before. So the combination of his decision-making and his game overall against the best defense in the country by far uh, sold me on him. So I would say Stroud and Richardson as well. I'm not as high on Hendon Hooker as you are, and I don't know. There's something there that I feel is missing. Could it be? Could that gap be filled in with training and good coaching? I suppose. Levis, yeah, too many question marks. Levis seems like a wild card to me a little bit. Young, I think, has it between the ears, much like his predecessor Tua, and and Mac Jones. But the size terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. Even if this is a guy that can get the ball out early and can process things, what happens on third and 20 when you got to let a route develop? And you got to wait. And it's going to happen. And maybe take a hit as you make a throw. He, that guy is tiny. Bryce he's he's five little. pounds heavier than me. He's little. He's really little. And sooner or, later, sooner or later, somebody's going to get a shot on him. You can say what you want about the game being soft and they protect quarterbacks, all of that stuff. You're playing quarterback in the National Football League, and you are nothing but a bullseye, first just, and foremost. I just worry his career is not going to be a long one. And even though he's a tiny bullseye, I'm with you. Uh, he is – he's just – he's – He's a risk. I mean, physically. Tua Tagovailoa just finished his third year in the league, and he was contemplating retirement this offseason because durability was a problem and concussions were the result. It's a big man's game. And if I have a prospect who's remotely close to what what young what Bryce Young is, I'm sorry, I'm taking the bigger dude. There's a wide disparity between the two. I make the exception and I roll the dice. But holy cow, if I got a, a guy that's bigger in stature, stronger, you know, I'm not holding my breath every time he takes off to run. I'm sorry. I'm taking that guy. I just am. Now, Bryce Young does have, like we said, he's got the the most solid floor of any of these guys and the highest floor. He's going to be able to run a pro offense and handle it and make decisions and and release the football. No question about it. But he's going to do it, and and literally he's going to weigh less than 170 pounds doing it. And look, if if, let's just say I'm painted into a corner and he's the best guy by far and I want to pick him or I I feel compelled to pick him, 
I am finding the best backup quarterback I can on the open market right. because I, I'm betting dollars to donuts. He's not playing more than 13, 14 games a year. So now I better have somebody else that can win me some games, right. not just fill in. Right. Now right. Carolina I'm, has I that. Think with, I think it's a huge concern. And I don't. And I'm. I'm the last guy that should be talking. I mean, I played as an undersized player in the league as well, but I didn't play that position, and I didn't play that many sna- as many snaps as he's going to be expected to play. Um, j- the statistics say that he's going to get fired. And even and think about this, Brownie Tua has never really taken an enormous shot. He just he's got thrown to the ground. Yeah. He never took a kill shot. Yeah. The hardest hit he ever had was from A.J. Epinesa. And that put him out of a game. Yes. <laughs> hit him under his armpit. I forgot about that. It's the hardest hit he's taken in his career. I forgot about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you said, if you're going to take Bryce Young, too, what's around him better be pretty dang good from a pass protection too, perspective. And if I remember right, last year the Panthers drafted Iki Aquanu. The left tackle, uh, yes, they did. He was their first-round pick last year in the top ten. And they've got a second-round pick at right tackle in Taylor Moten. They also had a free agent pickup at guard in Austin Corbett last offseason. Starting guard, good player. They got Bradley Bozeman from Baltimore uh, last year as well, I believe. So they have a good infrastructure from a pass protection standpoint. Um, so you could well, argue Bryce Young for them because you of what they say have that. at tackle. Well, you can say that, but listen – it is a merciless league. If you got five good blockers, what are you going to do when we send six? You know? Yeah. What are you going to do when we run a stunt and you leave somebody untouched? Because it's going to happen. Because we're going to send pressure and you're going to have to deal with it. And if you're wide outs and if you're not losing, he has to tap that ball once to wait for somebody to come open and we got a free rusher, his 170 pounds better be able to stand up to it. I don't Sooner or later – He's going to get hit, just like Tua did. It happened early for Tua in the Bills game, his rookie season. When, like you said, Epinesa, they got two clean shots on him. The first one Safety ended. Blitz. The first one ended the first drive of the game. The second one ended his day. The, on the second drive of the game, and the Bills brought because the Bills brought pressure. You know, I I have great doubts about. I have great reservations about a quarterback who's that undersized. Two is undersized. Baker Mayfield, you could make a con, con, uh, you could make a, a case for being undersized. Kyler Murray certainly is undersized, but you never get a chance to hit him because he takes off. You know, I'm just I just have reservations about that. Yeah, I, if I have other options and they fit the measurables better, and they're not that far removed from Bryce Young as a total package, taking the big guy. Yeah, we got to take a break here. When we come back, your thoughts on the tweet sheet on this subject about the 2023 quarterback class and maybe some time for a little NFL true-false. All coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, talking to you about this year's quarterback class and can it duplicate what the 2018 quarterback class did. That's Josh Allen's QB class with Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. Uh, you can let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. 
We do want to get to the tweet sheet to get some of your thoughts there. And first up is Jack, who says, yes, maybe better. Only Allen and Jackson are good of the five taken in 2018. If five are picked this year and go to the right situations, they should equal the 2018 class, maybe even surpass it. Levis and Richardson, if given time, have size and athleticism to succeed. I like Young, but size is a worry. We'll see about the other two. Yeah, Levis is probably the closest to Richardson in terms of physical talent. Throws the ball a mile. Right. So there is athletic upside there. Um, He is a wild card. I guess Richardson is, too, if you really come down to it. Um, Right. I still like Richardson and Stroud's chances the best, but only time will tell. Situation is a big part of it, though. Jack's 100% right. Yeah. Where you land is a big deal. Uh, yeah, we talked about that a little earlier, and that's it's huge. It's really huge. Where you don't want to land is the Jets. They haven't developed a quarterback in 48 years. Yep. There you go. There's no. There has to be a level of patience, and New York is infamous for being well, impatient. And competency. In terms of coaching a guy up. Right. So, uh, I think if you picked – I mean, maybe that's maybe that's even a more fun exercise is pick the spot where you think those three of the first four teams are going to get a quarterback. If you go Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud to the Houston Texans, and the third one, who's your third in this scenario? Richardson? Richardson. Anthony Richardson going to Indianapolis? Go. Yeah. I think Anthony Richardson going to Indianapolis – that's a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, mainly because of the owner. You got a first-time head coach in Shane Steichen. You have a good OC there, Jim Bob Cooter. Jim Bob Cooter's a good OC. So there is that. And Shane Steichen has been a coordinator himself uh, with the Eagles and the Chargers. So you could do worse. The, the owner is the fly in the ointment there. Because you don't know what that guy's going to do. That's the thing. AJ, or I mean, Bryce Young is going to play, and I think he'll play okay for Carolina, even given the great, op- the great environment he's in. I think he's going to be limited physically, and teams are going to force him to you know, pat the ball, stand in the pocket, and take a shot to deliver the football. If he can do that, he'll, he'll succeed to a certain extent, no question. But there's a lot of the moving parts, and we'll see how the team does. But for him... I think Carolina is the best case scenario for all of these guys. Yeah, C.J. Stroud in Houston. I like the sound of it. He's big enough, strong enough to kind of do a little of it on his own. I think the organization is trying to get it right, even though they have come up woefully short. They're trying to climb out of the abyss that they were in. I anticipate from you know from the words you hear and the reports coming out, they may be changing some things in the executive branch of that organization so you never know how that's going to settle out but I could see CJ Stroud going to Houston and helping that franchise now Indianapolis and Anthony Richardson if you're going to run an offense that works for Anthony Richardson right out of the shoot it's going to look a lot like Baltimore's offense in you know with Lamar Jackson I don't think that's an organization that will go down that path. Yeah. And they will and they will not be able to execute that plan as well as Baltimore was able to with Lamar. I mean, they got the guy to the MVP. 
and it was large in due, in my opinion, large measure to the the roster they built around him. They always and the scheme they built so, around him. Right, the scheme is what did it. That, the pundit, everybody in the national media always said Baltimore didn't support Lamar, and that because they and they link it to the the contract negotiations and all that. I think that's bunk. Baltimore changed everything. They went from the highest paid, pure drop back passer in the league in Joe Flacco, who won them a Super Bowl, and absolutely flipped it on its head and got into a run first, quarterback centric, running the football offense. They changed their offensive line, their skill positions, their philosophy. They brought in a perfect coordinator for it, and the guy won the MVP. And you're telling me they didn't they didn't support him? They couldn't have done any more for Lamar Jackson. Indianapolis is not going to execute it to the extent that Baltimore did, in my opinion. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And I don't. So I, yeah, I think if if Anthony Richardson goes to Indianapolis the AFC South will continue to stink. Let's go to the phones and see what Mike in Tonawanda thinks. Uh, Mike, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Hold on a second. You're not popping up here. There we go. What do you got for us, Mike? Listen, I I got a question about C.J. Stroud. Everybody's so great about high about him. From everything I've ever seen in my life, and I've been since the Bills since 1961, I've been their fan. They they never produce an NFL quarterback that's any good. I'll give you a list. Arch Leister, Bobby Hoying, Troy Smith, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, Cardell Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields. I think amongst those whole eight, they got about 20 NFL victories as a starting quarterback. Yeah. What makes anybody think C.J. Stroud is going to be much different coming out of Ohio State? Well, I, that's a good point. And you're right, and I've thought I've thought about that as well. I I, I got to tell you, Mike, I don't I don't know what to tell you except that C.J. Stroud isn't any of those guys, and I don't know that Arch Schleister back in the 1980s and his success or lack thereof has is going to have anything to do with whether C.J. Stroud is going to yeah, succeed I mean, or fail. Can, I see the trend. There's no question about it. But every guy's different, Mike. All, what can I say? They've had a, a run of guys who played really good quarterback in college and couldn't do it in the pros. But that doesn't mean CJ's going to be different or the same. Yeah, I mean, you could I, you could say I, that. I agree with you on that, but I still wonder: is he really going to be as good as they think he is? Yeah, that's well. well the, you could say that about just about yeah. everybody that gets drafted, Mike. And and look, Mike, you could say the same thing about the University of Wyoming. If you applied that to the University of Wyoming. You don't draft well, Josh Allen. I realize. No, well, all right, no, I'll, I'll, not, I'll give you a better comparison. Hold on, I'll give you a better comparison. How about USC? After Carson point. Palmer, you got anybody? No, that's no. the same thing. So it's. I mean, so I. I, I think. I think you got to judge the guy on their own merit, um, and then because it's not a coaching staff, because the coaching staff changed so many times right. at these universities anyway. You I'll can't apply this. it to a scheme or a coaching staff. I, I really think. It's a little vacuum-minded. Right. I get it. My, I, I think it's hard to ignore, except I guess I'm sitting here telling you to ignore it. But it could be something about the, you know, Columbus, where kids go in there as an Ohio State football player and they get treated differently for four years and it somehow warps them. They used <laughs> right? to say that about University of Texas players. They right. still do because they're coddled big time by they're their soft. boosters. Yeah, they're soft. Uh, Texas players have that reputation. And maybe you can make that 
assumption. Maybe it only manifests itself when you're talking about, you know, quarterbacks at Ohio State because there's been some really good players come out of Ohio State. But there is also that that thing that you, know, you talk about guys who went there that, you know, Jim Trestle got fired because they he was trying to protect his players. Jury's uh, still out on Justin Fields. Right. Justin Fields has a shot at it. Um, you're right. And he did come out under this coaching staff. So this coaching staff may have turned the corner and doing a little bit different with their quarterbacks, maybe giving them a chance. But I'm with you, Mike. You look at that list of guys starting going all the way back to Art Schleister. It's hard to ignore. Yeah, Kirk Herbstreit USC, and all those guys. USC is no better. Yeah. Todd Marinovich, John David Booty. No offense, but Matt Barkley was thought to be a much better prospect than the career that he's had, right? Right. Who's the guy? I who's mean, I like Matt Barkley. Who's the quarterback with uh, Reggie Bush? Uh, Matt Leinert. Matt Leinert. Another Pat one. Pat Hayden. Yeah. Mark Sanchez. Sean Salisbury. Rob Johnson. Bill Nelson. Pete Bethard. Oh Rodney gosh. Pete. Stop! Matt Stop! Castle. Stop! I mean, <laughs> you could say it about a lot of schools. That's right. And this is why... Quarterback is one of the most missed positions in the history of the league with round one draft choices. And I'll say this, too. Um, every one of those guys, you think, well, why do they keep drafting these guys? None of them can play out of that school. Every guy earns his opportunity. And C.J. Stroud is no different at Ohio State. He's played well enough for a good football team against really good competition at that level to earn a shot. So how he, what he makes of it, it, you know, you'll we'll see, but you've got guys like, you know, think about this list in the league right now. You got a kid out of LSU and Joe Burrow, a kid out of Wyoming and Josh Allen, a kid out of Texas Tech in Pat Mahomes. You got, or is it a in Texas Tech? Texas Tech. You've got um, uh, Justin Herbert who came out Oregon. of Oregon. Um, you know, none of those. You know, schools, Oregon, you could make a case for having a few guys. Like Dan Faust was out of there. and Guys like that. They also had Joey Harrington. So, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean. That's right. So, these quarterbacks, the want. quarterbacks, you, they're all individuals. And they all play the same position, but they're all different. And for their own unique And Marcus reasons. Mariota, now that I think about it. So, they've all got every school, you know, Florida, you know, you know. He, and you can go down the list, too, of Heisman Trophy quarterbacks coming out. Steve Spurrier. Gino Toretta. They can't play. Some of them can't play. Some of them can. But then you got guys like coming out of Stanford, like John Elway, right? Jim Kelly coming out of the University of Miami. Dan Marino out of Pitt. Joe Montana out of Notre Dame. Notre Dame and Joe Montana. I mean, I don't know. Who is a – give me a school, and there's got to be one, who churns out quarterbacks. BYU did it for a minute. Yeah, some people would say Alabama because there's a couple in the league right now. Tua, Mac Jones, they're not – I mean, not Tua led up. the league in passer rating this year, but Mac Jones hasn't lit the world on fire, you know? Yeah, give me a school that is a good quarterback school. You know, that's hard to find. Every, I think everybody's got their washouts. They really yeah, do. they really it's, – it's a tough league to win in, and, and what it takes to – College mean, football – People talk about Ohio State. What about – Penn State, like right. they, they don't have a lot yeah. of quarterbacks either. Yeah, right before we take a break, you know, college football is the best showcase for who can and who can't play, but it is completely different. Even though they, a lot of the same, everything looks the same, it's completely different than the pro game. And that transition is what yeah. changes guys. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
All right, before we get to some final thoughts on the tweet sheet, Steve, the Philadelphia Eagles apparently announced on their website that they hired Matt Patricia as a senior defensive assistant. He was the failed offensive coordinator of the Patriots last year and replaced by Bill O'Brien. Then the Eagles deleted the announcement. So somebody got a hold of Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, and he said, with respect to hiring Matt Patricia, quote, we're trending in that direction. Nothing's final yet. We'll see how that progresses. Obviously, his resume speaks for itself. He gives you a great mind in there that's done it at the highest level. Gives me another former head coach I can bounce ideas off. Matt Patricia, senior defensive assistant. It's expected will be his title with the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. He did lose his OC and his DC in this offseason. Senior defensive assistant. Okay. Well, I wonder what that was like stepping out of Patriot Place, whether he was asked to leave or or allowed to. Well, I mean, he was essentially replaced. Is he going to stay on staff and put his tail between his legs? That's kind of not, that's a little. Well, bit he's still getting paid by Detroit anyway, so it's not like he's a missing. A little bit a, of he's an not missing arrangement. A, he's not missing any meals, but right. still. All right. I that's, just found that that's interesting. That's weird. That's really so, weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I guess it's it's interesting and. You know, it's a good defensive mind that goes to the NFC, so I guess that's good, although the Bills do play the Eagles this year. So we will see them. That's it for us here on a Thursday. Don't miss our Friday edition of One Bills Live when we have our film reviewer, Greg Cosell, reviewing offensive linemen. We'll see you at 1. <laughs>